Hello and welcome to this Tech Blast episode, the series delivering you 15-minute overviews of an issue in the lab and the solutions available to help you through it. I'm Annie Colson, editor at Biotechniques and the host of today's podcast. In this episode, supported by CN Bio, we'll be discussing preclinical models of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease with a particular focus on liver-on-a-chip technologies. Our guest today is Gareth Ginnigault, Lead Scientist Services at CM Bio. Gareth, it's great to have you on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So firstly, let's set the scene a little bit. What is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and NASH and what issues do they present? Yeah, so the, the really it's in the name a lot of it. So it's that buildup of fat within uh, the liver, which really starts to cause an issue. So NAFLD, generally you get that fat buildup. And then as it starts to get worse and you get more and more fat build up over time, you start to get more of a kind of fibrotic and inflammatory response occurring. And that's when you get the non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, so NASH, um, which is the more kind of advanced stage of the disease. Now, those are essentially kind of reversible through things such as diet, exercise, you know, those sort of general things. But they also can get more severe where you start to get risk factors for cirrhosis, for carcinomas and actually needing a liver transplant as well. So they're very, very prevalent, which is one of the major issues here. So NAFLD is now up to about 30% of the world's population. So, you know, it's a huge issue in that sense. And it's about 20% of those that are probably going on to develop NASH. It's thought that in the next few years, the actual kind of buildup of fat in the liver is going to overtake alcohol as the major cause of liver disease. So it's, it's a huge problem in terms of scale. And so currently there are no therapeutics available to treat these disorders, despite the fact that many pharma and biotech companies have tried. What's the problem? Why are there so many late stage failures? So there's probably a number of reasons that really factor into this. And there are kind of two big ones that I would talk about. So one of which is it's kind of how complicated the disease is essentially, because people often treat NAFLD and NASH as though they're kind of this one single issue but actually they're quite a complex disease. There's the obvious side of things, which is the increase in the fatty diets, that kind of Western diet, which is causing the, the increase in fat. But there's also specific genetic factors that call, you know, increase the risk of the disease occurring. And there are other very much metabolic factors that can occur um, that increase the risk of the disease as well. So I, personally, I believe that one of the things here that people need to do is start to treat potential aspects of the disease and not the thing as a whole. And if you start to break down the disease into kind of almost like components of it, then they might get better effects. The other aspect is there's essentially, in my mind, a lack of translatable preclinical models. That partly comes down to what I've previously said, that actually a lot of the preclinical models at the moment, things like the the mouse models, the vivo models, they don't capture all of the physiology, particularly not the human side of things, right? Because you're talking mouse models here. So that means you're going to be missing things and they tend to be a little harder to actually adapt to the specific study that you're setting up. On the in vitro side of things, Basically, there's a reliance, as there has been for a long time now, on overly simplistic models. So you've got your 2D in vitro models, which you know generally just been cancer cell lines on a 2D plate, basically, and, and they don't really capture the complexity. So there's got to be a middle ground somewhere here, and that's where I think really kind of these organ-on-chip technologies are going to come into play. And so what are these organ-on-a-chip technologies and specifically liver-on-a-chip technologies? So organ on chip is really all about taking human cells and really culturing them in a way that kind of better represents the actual physiology of the organ. 
So there's a number of ways of doing that. So for example, if we take our liver chip, um, so our liver model, we're taking primary cells, so primary human hepatocytes, we can culture those with other cell types. So Kupfer cells, stellate cells, also you know, primary cells from humans. And then we grow those in a, in a 3D structure. And that's really crucial is having that kind of 3D organization of the cells so they have that interaction with each other that you would in a normal organ. And then the other aspect is really important here is having a media flow presence, this kind of fluidics. So by having that media that can flow past the cells, it replicates a lot of what you would see within organs, particularly things like replicating blood flow. And, and that really helps increase the kind of longevity of these tissues. You get the sheer stress, which is quite important to the cells, that kind of stimuli from the actual fluid moving past the cells, as well as the increase in you know, nutrients being able to get to the cells and oxygen being able to get to the cells. And you know, a sort of traditional primary hepatocyte model in 2D situation, you start to see issues of those the hepatocytes essentially no longer being hepatocytes after a number of days. Whereas using these kind of models, these kind of organ and chip models such as ours, you can go for a month and you're still seeing the cells maintaining their, their, their functionality. And so the CMBio NASH model, what does that bring to the table compared to existing approaches? So essentially what we've got here is a model that's relatively well validated and it really captures a lot of the kind of key aspects of the disease. So, so in terms of our, say, for example, our NASH model, um, we being able to culture the three cell types together with the hepatocytes being the kind of major cell type of the liver, the Kupfer cells give a lot of the inflammatory response and the stellate cells are really crucial for the fibrosis response. So you have those kind of key cell types to be able to drive that NASH phenotype. And then the addition of fatty media in there as well to kind of replicate that, as I said, that kind of Western diet and those fats and sugars that get absorbed into the hepatocytes. The real things that stand out for me over some of the other kind of in vitro models is really that we've got a system that in many ways is quite familiar to people who are used to doing standard cell culture. There are open plate formats, everything's quite accessible. It's not miles away. If you know how to work with hepatocytes in a standard model, you'd probably be able to adapt quite easily to using them in this model. I would also say that we work with quite decent volumes of things. So there's a lot of data you can get from a single replicate. So the throughput's not too bad. You can get a lot of data from every single replicate and it won't completely break the bank. In terms of the kind of in vivo models, I mean, it, it comes down to the kind of simple things really, which is you're actually getting human relevant data. You're actually getting human cells in their system. So how things will respond, how drugs are metabolized in human cells can be different to how they do in, in a mouse. And also the kind of flexibility that the model allows as well. So I said, we have those three cell types in there, but there's always the possibility to be able to adapt, change cell types, pick specific donors that have particular mutations with them. And in assessing key endpoints, being able to knock down targets, for example, all these things that mean, as I said earlier, where, you know, that there's quite a complicated disease means it allows you to potentially target very specific aspects of the disease to understand it better and understand how drugs are affecting the actual NASH pathology. And so where in drug discovery do these models bring the most value? In my mind, I mean, a lot of it can be fairly flexible, for example. So you could use this to simply, you know, almost do that kind of slightly more academia side of things of trying to understand the actual NASH disease better in itself. So that kind of core science, you know, what are certain mutations driving, you know, why is NASH phenotype happening and which cells are giving the response. But in terms of the kind of preclinical drug testing side of things, we're probably looking slightly later stage probably alongside your in vivo data. So you've got to a point where you've done some serious screening of your drugs, and then you probably want to come into organ and chip, which just that, you know, they're not as high throughput as some of the simpler models, for example, but they'll give you much richer data, much more relevant data. And so while you've got your in vivo mouse models occurring, 
simultaneously you could be using organ on chip models to get the actual human relevant data and that kind of comparison of the two should be very very informative because there's obviously a limitation of the organ and chip that they're one or two organs depending on the kind of model you're looking at whereas obviously the mouse is still an interconnected you know it's got everything there essentially right all these things interplaying with each other but as i said not human tissue so that the two sets of data should be very informative before making those decisions and moving into the clinic and then the hope is that these models will help overcome the late stage failures that's the idea yes the ability to be able to you know there's a lot of issues with things not being quite as efficacious as you'd expect or more toxic than you'd expect. And, and the idea of having the combination of those organ and chip and the in vivo would help reduce the number of drugs that are going to be missed essentially and pushed through to the next stage. Okay, great. And how can people access the model? So CM Bio's NASH model, we are actually launching uh, what we call our National Box uh, Reagent Kit. So the idea with this as an example would be that you could basically purchase our physiomimic system. That's our organ and chip technology. Um, and then the national box kit would essentially provide you everything that you would need to be able to run one of these assays. So that would be the actual liver chip plates or our LC12 plates to actually culture the cells in a 3D format. We have validated cells that come with it. So you'd get the hepatocytes, the cupfers and the stellate cells, uh, and you'd actually get donors that we know work within the system. The media that actually drives the NASH phenotype would be provided and some key assays that we know essentially the experiment's working. And and then kind of alongside that as well, CMBI will provide the protocols and the support to be able to actually be able to run one of these projects, particularly, you know, what assays to run and all that side of things as well. So the idea is essentially be able to provide that to customers so they can run everything themselves. And what does the experiment's workflow look like? So the assay that we've developed generally involves a half a week to a week of kind of pre-work, you know, getting cells ready, getting everything in the system set up. You then seed the three cells into the culture plate. The following day, you'd switch over to the fat media. So that starts to drive the actual NASH phenotype within those cells. We generally leave it for about three days after that. So you've given the cells time to actually start to develop that NASH phenotype, essentially time for the hepatocytes to start to absorb the fat and the stellate cells to start responding, inducing the fibrosis and the cryptos to start doing the inflammatory response. And then you can do the drug treatment from there on. So you'd add the drug into the system um, and then be able to do media changes for a few times as you go throughout the experiment, deciding whether you dose on you know, every day, every few days, for example, generally run experiments that are total about 14 days of cell culture, but that can be varied a bit as well. You've uh, mentioned the data a little bit, but what data do users get at the end? And do you have any tips for analysing the data? As I mentioned earlier, because the kind of scale of everything here, we have a, a lot we can play with. So you do have to do a media change in the system every two or three days for each individual well. And that gives you about a mil worth of media to play with, which is a really nice volume compared to some of the other organ and chips kind of systems. So that, for example, means you can go and run Luminex if you wanted to, to get a really nice big cytokine panel. We tend to be a little bit more focused where, you know, we know IL-6 is an excellent uh, marker for the inflammatory response. You can look at fibrosis markers secreted in the media. There are cell health markers. So albumin for us is always one of the key things we can measure that really tells you whether the hepatocytes are nice and healthy. You also have clinical markers you can measure in the system. So ALT and AST are frequently used in clinics to detect whether, you know, how much toxicity is occurring, the kind of damage occurring in the liver. So we can measure those in the system as well. So yeah, there's a multitude of things you can measure from the media. And then at the end of the experiment, you can remove the cells. So they're cultured in a 3D format within a scaffold. So you can remove that scaffold and use that for a number of endpoints. So very 
frequently we do confocal microscopy. It's a really nice way to be able to look and visually see the fibrosis occurring on the cells. Uh, you can also assess the steatosis, so that the fat loading within the cells, and then a number of other endpoint assays that you can do as well. So RNA assessment, including RNA-seq as possible, proteomic analysis, essentially anything that you could do on a TD cell culture, you would, should be able to do this, it just involves a little bit of adapting of protocols, but that is certainly doable. Great. And what's next for these models or what do you hope is next for these models? So I, I think at the moment, we're still in a certain sense in a stage of adoption at the moment of organochip as a field in a whole, to be honest. So hopefully we see more and more adoption as they currently exist. But as part of that, and as the technology develops, I suspect what we'll see is firstly, the kind of single organ models, I suspect they'll start increasing in complexity as well as more understanding goes into them. So as I said here, we've got the three cell types, you could conceivably start adding in endothelial cells in there, you could start having circulating immune cells, which is one of the advantages of having that fluidic flow is you can have circulating cells present. But that, you know, so complexity in a single organ is possible. And then you certainly also have multi-organ systems. So we have also launched, it's a gut, liver, multi-organ plate. So you can culture both the gut and the liver and see the interplay between the two. At the moment, we don't have a NASH version of that. But you say, for example, you could see that moving forward and having the kind of NASH version uh, thereof. So I suspect you'll start seeing more and more these kind of multi-organ systems and growing out to more and more interconnected systems. And you know, the, the long term, it's not going to happen anytime soon, would be to sit much more alongside the kind of in vivo models or even replacing them completely. Because at the end of the day, no scientist really likes having to test on animals. You know, apart from the ethical side of things, there's the issues that we've mentioned multiple times about, you know, they just don't behave the same way that a human would. But that, you know, that's obviously a long-term change in things. So initially, we won't be replacing animal models completely, but really being able to provide that alternative human data to sit alongside and start to get the regulatory acceptance would be a really big move in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. So Gareth, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If you would like to find out more about preclinical models of Anash, you can get more information from our InFocus on modelling diseases with organ and chip technologies on our website at www.biotechniques.com. Thank you for listening and goodbye.